This is Climate Justice, y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. All right, y'all, it is season two of Climate Justice Y'all. Let's get started. All right, hi, Libre, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I am doing great. How are you all doing? Oh, well, Abby. I'm all right. I'm all right. We were listeners. We were just talking about how hot it is right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Libre's down in Florida and we're here in Alabama, but somehow it's even hotter in Florida than it is in Alabama. We didn't think that was possible at all. He said it was hundred. Yeah. Three days out of the week is over hundred over here in Miami. Woo. That's no wind. I know that's all heat, all sun, mm-hmm. all shine. The thing about about Mother Nature, she be trying to play games sometimes, and it be like, when you need that breeze, she don't be pulling up. No. <laughs> but then when it's cold, the wind be going, and it's like, nah, I don't need nah. you right now. Right, mm-hmm. very true, bitch. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess we'll get started with the show. Um, we just need you to go ahead and introduce yourself, your name, the organization that you're with, and some of the things that you do. So um, my name is Libra X Sankara. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am a, I am on uh, stolen indigenous land, Miccosukee, Tequest, and Seminole, to be specific, also known as Miami, Florida. Um, and I am a popular educator and cultural worker and organizer based in, um, in South Florida. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So... <laughs> You've been organizing for a while, despite being pretty young, just from what you've told me after us working together through Gulf South for a Green New Deal and stuff. Could you talk more about your experience with organizing and some lessons you've learned over the years? Like how long have you been doing this? What all have you been doing? And what are some lessons that you've learned? Oof, how long? Um, I think consciously I've been organizing um, since I was 16. Um, and, uh, my introduction into, into organizing, um, and kind of fighting for rights in, in, uh, this country has been, uh, influenced at the time I was, uh, living in, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I grew up and, uh, they were trying to pass, um, uh, the Dreamers Act. Um, which would help undocumented folks um, be able to navigate the system um, a little bit better. And um, there was talks of at the high school that I was at of, um, of trying to target undocumented students and get them, um, like kick them out of the school and report them to ICE. So um, organized a walkout um, and that was kind of my introduction into um, into organizing this thing called organizing, um, which is a tool that, that we can use um, to, to move our communities. Um, and then um, also to specify, I, I said I was a cultural worker and for those that aren't familiar, 
um, there's this great article by Devin Springer um, called Cultural Worker Not Creative. And um, so I identify as a cultural worker, which means like I'm an artist, I'm, I am an artist that uses my arts to help organize. And so when uh, I eventually got to university, um, I started writing poetry as a way to engage folks that were really uncomfortable having difficult conversations um, so that I could like open up the space and also understanding that everybody comes into movement space um, through a different way. Like not, not everyone's gonna organize a walkout. Um, not everyone is gonna be willing to go onto the streets. And sometimes um, art, art space um, could be a way that we move people towards um, being conscious and aware of the injustices that people face. Um, and art is a way to communicate um, sometimes without words. For me, it's through poetry, so I do use words. Um, and so I, my organizing got good um, when I was in university. Um, and a, a lot of that organizing was part of becoming a better poet as well, but also um, understanding the larger context of the system that we live in. Um, because uh, I, I lived in Chile for a little, and for folks that aren't familiar with Chile, um, it's in uh, El Cono Sur, um, the, the southern cone of uh, South America. And there um, is a country that normalizes, um, that normalizes protesting, literally like, every day of the week, there is a protest happening um, in regards to some injustice that is happening. And so when I was studying over there, um, I kind of got used to the idea of students advocating for themselves. And if you don't like something, then you can go out and protest and you can organize around it um, to call attention to it. And when I got back to the US, I was like, wait, why aren't we doing this here? Um, so I started organizing on campus around things um, uh, like uh, defunding, um, defunding uh, divestment campaigns, BDS, um, in solidarity with our Palestinian homies, um, as well as pushing for a more inclusive Common Core curriculum and more diverse um, staff uh, at the university. Um, after that, um, my organizing uh, moved into the real world because after I graduated from university, um, I moved here to South Florida um, and started focusing around education and social emotional development with youth, which, um, which I do up until today. Um, and a lot of that work is really important um, because it's necessary work in our community to be able to, to navigate our emotions in meaningful ways. Um, for me, I, I mostly focused um, on pre-K and now I moved more to like middle school to high school age to youth, um, where we're able to focus on um, learning different ways to navigate emotions, understanding that oftentimes in 
uh, our undershipped communities were only taught to communicate um, through violence or suppressing our emotions. Um, and so what does it look like to understand that we have uh, a spectrum of emotions and um, when we learn to navigate them, then we can use violence in more of a strategic way. Violence itself is, is just a thing. It's not good, it's not bad. It depends on what you use it for. Um, because, um, you know, we live in a violent society. And um, if, if you ask me what violence is, well, I'll tell you that it's many things. Violence is children going to sleep hungry. Violence um, is children not having access to education. Um, and, and rights being turned into privileges, which happens under capitalism. Um, and so a lot of the lessons I've learned um, is that, uh, especially in the context of the U.S., um, and more specifically in places like Florida, um, we see a lot of contradictions where we tell people to do the right thing, but we don't give them access to doing the right thing, and we don't invest resources into that. Be invested into policing, which doesn't keep our community safe, um, versus mental health professionals, which uh, offer um, solutions for youth to be able to navigate things. Um, so um, that's those are some of the lessons that I've learned, um, as well as the the necessity for healing. Right? Um, I think if you want to organize in community, part of holding yourself accountable to your community is healing and um, dealing with the, a lot of the traumas that we've, um, that we've lived through growing up so that uh, when we're in our communities, we're not, uh, we're not triggering ourselves or our community members, um, but rather seeking healthy ways to navigate through some very difficult realities um, in, in this country. And yeah, so, and, that's probably like one of the biggest things, like our communities need to heal, but if the people that are helping to organize our communities are not themselves healing, then what kind of example are we offering um, to the people that we're trying to help? Libre, I have you know that I was just snapping so hard and clapping and jumping in my seat that like the computer shook a little bit, yeah. like absolutely. If we aren't healing ourselves, how can we heal our communities? For sure. Yes. What do we have to prove? Yeah. Like, that was beautifully spoken. That was very beautiful. Libre is a poet. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they do. Yeah. But I mean, okay. So thank you so much for reflecting on like some of these lessons that you've learned. Like, it's it sounds like a lot. You somehow encompassed and summarized so many, so much and very concisely. So yeah. thank you so much. But I do want to talk more about the like your activism in the climate movement. So what got you involved in the climate movement? What do you do and why is it important for the youth to be involved in the climate movement? And also how did you use poetry for uh, the climate movement? And we're just throwing a bunch of questions at yeah. you. So if we need to repeat ourselves, <laughs> just let us know. <laughs> no worries. Um, so I would say my, my, coming into understanding the full spectrum of climate happened um, as I started working with youth in pre-K and looking for different ways to, um, to engage youth. So when talking about um, social emotional development and how we help youth to navigate their emotions, um, 
uh, it, it has to do with different aspects of healing, but also understanding that everyone heals differently. And so um, when we're talking about youth or even with adults, because it's really people in general, um, I can I can speak from my experiences with the youth because that's the group that I engage with the most. Um, and so in seeking ways to, um, to offer youth uh, different outlets, uh, I used to do, um, I used to lead community gardens um, and then just tailor workshops um, to the youth. Um, and, uh, you know, all the, the evidence-based research shows that uh, youth that have access to and work um, with nature um, are able to test better. Um, they're able to like put their energy into another place um, in a way that allows them to release and feel grounded, right? Because we also had to think in some senses of um, people in general um, as plants, right? And so when we tell people um, that they need to be grounded, it's quite literally like take your shoes off and like just go stand and let your feet touch nature. You're able to release um, energy right and um and put that somewhere um and like this is science right i'm not like talking about like some kumbaya type things like your not body kumbaya. <laughs> like no no you're definitely everything you're saying is backed up for sure for sure yeah 100 percent. your body holds energy and the shoes they keep it in right and so take your shoes off like walk around barefoot every now and then like these are things that like i said scientifically proven um as well as um uh, because I was looking for different ways to engage youth, like it was gardening, right? Like, and that works for some of them. Uh, we did uh, like physical exercise, which works for another group. Um, and then we did cooking classes um, specifically focused around um, like how to cook healthy snacks, right? Um, to encourage um, like healthier eating habits, but not just like telling children to eat healthy, but like explaining why and explaining like the benefits of um, of eating healthier, um, explaining that more than 70% of the body is water. And so maybe you want to drink a little bit more water than you do this other thing, um, this other thing being like sugary drinks. Um, and so explaining, understanding that we have to explain things so that it makes sense um and like that that's something we should be willing to do with youth because we're willing to do it with each other right like creating that same expectation um that like youth want to know why we're asking them to do things and we shouldn't make the assumption that because we're older that they should just do it because we said so and we know better sometimes we don't right and we just have to be honest with that um and so um creating different ways of engagement for youth um, allowed me to understand and dive a little bit deeper into like, well, like why are these things so prevalent in, uh, in the hood, right? I grew up in the hood, so like I have my lived experiences, but then being like an adult and having lived um, and having traveled and seen other places, right, it really, gave gave me insight into environment and the fact that um, in our communities there will be higher rates of asthma well why is that 
oftentimes our communities are close in proximity to places that people work. Yep. In these places that people work, they emit chemicals. And also in the hood, like people just like more people live there, it's denser populations. So there's more cars going through them. So there's like all these underlying factors on top of the fact that uh, oftentimes we live in food deserts. And so access to healthy, nutritious food, um, as well as knowledge as to why that food is healthy for you is not a reality for a lot of our communities, which are, which are things we have to change. But before we can change it, we have to create an understanding of, well, why do we need this? And not assume, oh, like people in the hood don't want healthy food. It's like, have you ever tried explaining why and explaining them the benefits of it instead of making an assumption about a place you probably don't come from? Because if you're saying something like that, you know, like my thing is not, it is not to talk about problems without providing solutions. So right when okay. we're talking about that, it's like bringing that into the climate. So Libre, similar to you, I didn't grow up in the best academic environment. Like we didn't have the, the access that others have. Um, so you kind of spoke on it. You didn't grow up around kind of having the access to gardening and whatnot. And those artistic values that kind of brung out or helped ground you, if you will. So how did you develop these, these activities for your students that, I don't know where I'm going with this question. How did you develop these activities and how do you de explain them to younger, younger generations and whatnot? And kind of bring them around to, hey, this is this is helping your environment. Uh, you know, explain it to them that way. How did you break it down for them so that they so that they understand that they're that they're kind of in the movement with mm -hmm. us? It sounds like what you're asking is like, how did Libre use their experiences growing up to not only help themselves, but also to form the curriculum to inform yeah. kids now and connect that to the climate movement? Yes, that exactly. Yep. I got you, dude. I got Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, I think we have to understand that these things happen in steps. It's not something that changes from one day to the other. Um, also understanding that, like, uh, who better to, to navigate these spaces with the youth than someone that has been in a similar situation, right? Um, and, and we have to understand that we live under systems of oppression. So I grew up in the hood in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but working in the hood in Miami, Florida, yes, there are specific things that are like particular to, to Florida and to Miami, but systematically we are under living under the same conditions that created and normalized poverty where I grew up um, and compared to where I work. So it's, it's being understanding that um, like we have to be patient and that um, we had to be in curious space, right? So it's make, it's not making an assumption that people know things, but it's creating a space where we can all learn together. And this comes from um, pedagogy, uh, Paulo Freire's Pedagogy the Oppressed, a Brazilian um, educator, right? If folks are interested in looking more into it, but it's the concept of um, popular education and popular education and um, in essence is like, I know some things, you know some things and we know more together. And so when working with, with youth, it's really been able to help me 
um, to be patient enough to like understand that sometimes you have to be like, oh, that didn't like, I heard that it didn't taste good. And then it's like, well, have you tasted it? Um, and then if it's no, it's like, would you like to taste it? Like maybe, maybe there's a way that you can do it that you would like. Um, and so just kind of like pushing youth to, uh, to utilize their imagination um, in a way that also can, can move towards like more tangible things. Um, uh, and, um, and it's also like learning things along the way. So um, like I didn't go to school for social emotional development. I, like I learned about the idea of it and then I realized that, that I had my own traumas growing up and that what I'm helping the youth do is something that I needed. And so coming from a level of understanding like, well, what would I have needed if I was younger? Um, what would have helped me get to where I'm at today at a younger age and trying to incorporate those aspects um, because I don't come from this academic background where I studied these things or I, uh, I understood why it was important to study climate. And it's not to like knock that, but I think what I'm saying is a lot of the people that I engage come from my background right, where they haven't gone to school, they haven't studied this thing. And um, and so for me, it's like using my lived experiences um, and then going to workshops and understanding some of what has been done in academic spaces around this work. Um, and then condensing all that information into like tangible nuggets of knowledge that can be given to youth and then allow the youth to ask questions and get pushback about that, but also be willing to explain like, uh, hey, you know, like, um, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have like clean air? Like you like to go to the beach, like wouldn't you like to go to this beach like in the future? Like what are ways that we can do to, to take care of this thing that, that we're borrowing from the future, right? The indigenous people had this concept of seven generations from now where, where we're like, you know, we're trying to create a world for seven generations from now. And that means that we're responsible to the people that are going to have to live with our decisions now. Um, like that, that we're responsible to the future that, uh, that we have to be able to, to create the conditions that a world, a livable world that, um, that is like clean and that offers clean water and, and healthy food that, um, that we're going to be able to do things now that ensure that seven generations from now, they also have access to these things. Because, like, we're not, uh, we can't recreate the world. We can't, the world is not a factory where we can just begin to just develop it and, and, and whatnot. Like, the world is this natural thing that we should be coexisting with instead of trying to work against. And so, um, that that trying to like break down some of the misconceptions that the world in general or the youth in general have about climate and then just make it make sense like w find what the youth are interested in and then tie it into an aspect of the environment that will like draw them in and like anchor them i love that and i love how you talk about anchoring and grounding too. It's kind of looping back around. And I also love how you talk about that trauma can inform the work that you're doing. Yeah. And it's vital for that for sure. But 
So you live and work in Southern Florida right now. Um, what would you think climate justice, what do you think it would look like there specifically? And what steps do you think people could take to make it a reality? Ooh, ooh, baby. We live in <laughs> South Florida and Florida in general, just um, really uh, the epitome of um, politicians um, not representing the individuals that put them into office um, and uh, putting corporations over community, um, which is, again, systematic issue um, that needs to be addressed. Um, but when talking about South Florida specifically, um, a lot a lot of our issues have to do with uh, the preservation of the environment. So like taking care um, of our beaches and our bays that are being under attack, uh, that, yeah, that are being, that are under attack. For example, um, the Everglades, um, yesterday we went to a commission, uh, a commission hearing to argue against um, this urban development boundary that was asking for 800 uh, acres of land in the Everglades. Keep in mind, the Everglades is one of the most biodiverse places in the US, right? So they're trying to build warehouses on 800 acres of land in Everglades. Now, okay. is this something that we need? Yeah, no. sorry, let me cut in. Not to mention, if you build a warehouse on a wetland, <laughs> Come on, like at least be smart when you're making, like constructing something. Yeah. That just, it seems stupid on so many fronts, but whatever, go off. Continue last. Yeah, <laughs> continue. Sorry, Libre, continue. Sorry. No, no, no. It's again, um, you know, the Mikasuki, um people came and they spoke and it's like, you know, you're trying to build um, these warehouses and make it 800, like eight feet above sea level. Well, what does that do to the surrounding area? And how does that affect the natural habitat? Um, and so like, and also, right, they're, they're, they're using the guise of creating more jobs, which our communities do need more jobs, but the ways that we do it, I think are really important. And one, one job, like one, one business development is not gonna be the solution to the community's need and accessibility to accessible quality jobs that pay the wages to live, like living wages. Right. So they're trying to sell this lie. Again, it's a corporate lie to community to try to get them and paint the picture that they're somehow helping people out when the reality is in the long term, most of these people that they're telling we're going to bring jobs to the community, they're not going to hire them. Right? Like, let's just be honest about the way that things actually play out. This is about business. Right. And at the end of the day, it's not about um, improving the, the living conditions of people or nature. Um, because you can do both, right? There's also this lie that, oh, we have to develop and then we can worry about the environment later. Well, why don't we just incorporate environmentally friendly, sustainable solutions to the creation of the things that we develop? And then we're addressing both issues at the same time. And to say that it's not possible, you can look at countries like Nicaragua that um, over the last 15 years have used... Um, a renewable energy of over 50% renew renewable energy and developed exponentially greater than any other country in Central America. So a whole country that's using renewable, renewable energy and sustainability to develop their country. So like it is possible. We have examples that we can look to. Um, 
and and we had to stop like telling these lies that like you have to sacrifice one thing for the other our our future generations will not have that luxury and we have a responsibility to hold people responsible now um and so there's also the heat stress bill right i was just saying like three days out of the week um it was already over 100 the summer hasn't even started we live in a place that that incorporates farming and so what does it look like to be a farm worker, to be um, a peasant in Florida uh, and have to work under these conditions without being guaranteed access to water um, and with the hope that people recognize your, your humanity, right? Because, um, you know, there's, there's, there's so many intricacies that go into, uh, into like the human rights and, in the, and, and what we have to realize is that climate justice is about environment, which is the totality of the thing that you're surrounded by. So it's not just people, it's the environment, it, it's, it's nature, um, it's uh, the accessibility to, um, to these rights that I was talking about, right? So environment is like a totality of things. Um, and why is this important to youth? Um, well, I do, um, to touch on a point that you had brought up that I haven't addressed yet um, in terms of how do I bring the youth into it and what is the role of youth? Well, youth are the future and they're going to be the, the, the future decision makers. Why don't we create um, spaces where they can start having a conversation around what civic engagement is and ways that they can be involved now? Because we, um, again, we live in environments that oftentimes discourage youth from participating and then when they become adults, we wonder why they don't want to participate. We're like conditioning them to, to, to just be passive, right? Without ever creating the conditions where they, feel they are empowered to change the things that they don't like in a world that they have to live in, keep in mind, right? And so um, I'm, uh, over the last year or so, I've been developing um, a curriculum that engages, uh, that touches on five different aspects of civic engagement. Um, with you to create space where they can talk about it before they're able to vote. So we can um, have these conversations early and, and create youth that have access to tools to organize themselves and feel empowered and understand their rights because students also have rights, which most students don't know. Um, and they can be advocating for themselves so that by the time they are voting age, they don't think that you're gonna change this country by voting every four years and then get discouraged when it doesn't happen, right? And so it's it's using this curriculum to create dialogue so that they actually understand what democracy is because we don't have it in this country. And we can see that by all the things that are happening right now. Roe versus Wade, yo, like why are we moving backwards as a country? And, and also we have responsibility to the youth to like, to show them what it looks like to fight for the things that, that that, um, that are important to us, but also to give them the space for whatever they think their issues are to help them address those issues. And so we've been building that out. Um, and poetry is something that I use to engage youth um, just because it kind of breaks the barrier and students kind of like um, art in general. And so I've used poetry um, to do workshops to discuss issues about the environment um, in, uh, in more of the artistic, creative way, but also to encourage them 
and talk about the realities of the world that we live in, the harsh realities of the world that we live in. Um, so it's not like trying to pretend like uh, like this is the end or, or that things are a lot better than they are. They're not, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility or agency to change the things we don't like. And so it's a lot easier with youth because you can make it make sense. It's like, you all know you're gonna have to live with this thing called earth. And if we start to take care of it now, we're not gonna fix the things that have already been done wrong, but we can begin to put things into place to make sure that we're that in the long term, it's not, uh, it's not as big um, of, of a hit to, to society. And maybe you all can create solutions for some of the issues that we have, because they're created by the people that are making decisions now, not by the, not by the youth. Um, so, yeah. Billy Bray, we always end the episodes off with a question of what brings you hope? And although I feel like this whole episode, you have answered that question, if you have more to say about what brings you hope to keep going, to keep fighting in a movement, to keep spreading your poetry, um, doing your art, what would that be? Like, what what keeps you going? Um, what keeps me going is uh, being proactive in the ways that I'm trying to change the world, understanding that what we live in today is not the world that I want the youth to live in. Um, we've, we normalize and experience far too much trauma for this, for, to not fight for it. And I think it's so easy to be bogged down and to feel burned out. Um, but when you, for me, I'll speak to see their gears clicking and when we're talking about certain things that people would say youth don't even care about, right? It's like, no, I'm proactively, instead of pretending like this is a lost generation, like it's being proactive and like, no, actually not only is it not a lost generation, it's a generation that I'm helping to offer tools because my role is to help support them in being empowered enough to change the things that we don't like and to let them know that they can do it and that they can be curious enough to like change uh, the, the things in their community if they are passionate enough, enough about it. They just need tools and they need a space of encouragement um, because this is not it. The world that we live in is not it and it is gonna change. We just have to be intentional in how and, and what we're changing it for. We have to make it for better. We have to be fighting for peace um, and, and giving our tool, um, giving our youth the tools that they need um, to be able to do that in a healthy way, um, I think is what inspires me. Um, because it, I just, anytime I need a reason, I just look to the youth I'm working with and I was like, this is, this isn't, this is reason enough. And these are the people that can be like, you know, like these are going to be future decision makers and they're critically thinking more than some adults that I've engaged. <laughs> and that's just like really encouraging to me that the world that I grew up in is not the same world that I'm gonna be leaving behind. Heed to my breeze and I'll whisper the secrets you were never told. A place where addiction is profitable. Zip codes mimic war zones. Governments conspire against healers. Use opioids as solutions. Foreign aid, a bargaining chip. Banks, colonial weapons, churches to pacify. Still, 
Others have no shelter. Many are forced to fast. Corner stores cater to colonized tongues. Fracking pollutes sacred water, a sacrifice. Perhaps the worst atrocities are one day, strip children of freedom, strangle their imagination into borders, force them into cages, call it home. Beat, hit, break, strip, buckle, whip, rape, repeat. Beat, hit, break, strip, buckle, whip, rape, Teach them it's okay to put emotions into bottles, so I collected their tears till you commodified their labor. Never saw them as a solution. <laughs>